Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. And one of the reasons we picked the name out for the program is because you can get into the crossfire. You can ask, call in live, ask your Bible question, make your Bible comment, even try to uh, discuss in a friendly way, disagree in a friendly way with what we're teaching because we only want to know what the truth is, what the Bible says. Jesus said, John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God defines for us what the truth is. And John 8, 32 teaches us that only the truth will set us free from sin. So the truth is so important. What God's word says is so important. If you'd like to call in, tell us what the Bible says about a particular passage, that'd be fine. The announcer said, give us a call at 877-655-6755. I thought while we were waiting on our first call, we would talk about some things we learn from 2 John verses 9 through 11. Here's how that text reads. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Well, the first thing I think we can learn from that passage, and it should be obvious, is that doctrine, doctrine or our teaching is important. As you know, many preachers and churches want to de-emphasize doctrine. Because there's so much disagreement on such between them. But verse 9 says, if we don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, we don't have God. You can't be saved if you don't have God. The only way you're going to be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. If our salvation is dependent upon it, then doctrine must be super important. Matthew 15, 9 explains it this way. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So if we teach the commandments of men instead of the commandments of God, our worship will be vain. And we certainly can't be saved that way. Bottom line is we have to get our doctrine right to be saved. Do you see that from 2 John verses 9 through 11? Another thing we learn from 2 John 9 through 11 is that salvation is not, and I underscore the word not, it's not by faith only. Salvation by faith only says as long as we have faith in Christ, we're going to be saved even if we're not doing what Christ said. But 2 John 9 teaches we must believe in Christ strongly enough to follow what he taught. That is, as the text says, abide in his doctrine. And another passage, James 2.24, will always prove salvation by faith only to be false because it says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So all the preachers that say you're saved by faith only, the Bible says the exact opposite. By works a man is justified and not by faith only. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open, 877-655-6755. A third thing I think we can learn from 2 John verses 9 through 11 is that baptism is necessary to salvation. You say, Pat, how is that? 
Well, if we're not baptized, then we're not abiding in the doctrine of Christ. Because the doctrine of Christ teaches that we should be baptized. Here's where Christ said it, Mark 16, 16. It says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. So Mark 16, 16 makes this point very simply and conclusively. If you're going to abide in the doctrine of Christ, since the doctrine of Christ says to be baptized, you're going to have to be baptized to be saved, since you've got to abide in the doctrine of Christ to be saved. A fourth thing I think we learned from 2 John, verses 9 through 11. Obedience, we've been talking about baptism, but obedience in general is necessary to salvation. What we just said about baptism is also true about any instruction from God. If we do not obey God's instructions, we are not abiding in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ. So, according to 2 John 9, we don't have God. We can't be saved. Passages like Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 drive this point home. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And so, only those that obey Christ will receive eternal salvation from Christ, who is the source of our salvation. Now, we're not saying because we have to obey Christ, we're the source. We're not doing it ourselves. No, Jesus is the source, but we have to obey him to receive eternal salvation from the source. So both Hebrews 5, 9 and 2 John verse 9 teach that obedience is necessary to salvation. Bo from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hello. Um, I was wondering, when Jesus encountered the rich young rich young man and he said good teacher uh tell me what you must do to inherit the kingdom of god and jesus said why do you call me good only one is good that's the father and i've always been perplexed at jesus knowing he was the son of god how he told that guy only the father is good knowing that he was perfect as well well that that's a good question but you know, uh, and I'm not sure I know the answer to that question, but in Matthew 19, 17, where he's talking to the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler in verse 16 calls him good master. And he says, why callest uh, thou me good? There's none good but one that is God. He doesn't say God the Father there. And so okay. I'm wondering if Jesus's point, Bo, is that, is that how did you know I was God? Meaning you're calling okay. me good and only God is good in the ultimate sense. And since you're calling me good, are you calling me God? Maybe that's the point I, Jesus I, is making. Not that Jesus is not good and that Jesus is not God, but that Jesus is good and that therefore he's God. You think you might be saying that, Bo? Yeah, you uncovered a whole other side of it. I appreciate that. Well, think about that and maybe you can give me a call later after the program. And we can talk about it yes, in, in more depth, okay? Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Anything else, Bo? No, sir. Okay. Thanks for your call. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Howdy, Phil from Grand Rapids. Been a little while since I've heard from you. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. It has been a while. Hi, Patrick. Uh, I have a question for you, and I have heard you say a number of times, the verse in the Bible that says these things must soon come to pass. I've heard you put a time stamp on it that soon means soon, as in one generation. And I, I can't find that in the Bible where soon means 
a short period of time. Okay. Well, you can't find it in the Bible that soon means a short period of time. That's what the word soon means. But uh, let's go to where I think you're talking about. Since uh, it doesn't, I don't think it actually uses the word soon. I may have used that word, but Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. And I'm assuming, Phil, this is where you heard me talk about it since I was talking about this last week, right? Yes. So in Revelation 1, verse 3, it's a prophecy. The book of Revelation is a prophecy. And in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is he that readeth and that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, I think you would agree with me, Phil, at hand means close by, close by either in physical distance or close by in time. And here it says, the time is at hand. So, I mean, if that verse, Phil, means what it says, that would mean that the fulfillment of the book of Revelation in as a whole would be close in time, soon, right? Well, I'm, I'm just pretty uncomfortable putting a a date on the Word of God when it clearly doesn't say how soon at hand means. I mean, to us, it could be today or tomorrow, but to God, it could be a thousand years, 2,000, uh, 2,020 years. I think what we're failing to realize here is, yeah, I'm not putting any certain number of years on it, but God is not speaking in his language. He's speaking in our language. So what it means to us is what God intends to show. For example, another verse in Revelation, Revelation 1-1, the very first verse in the book says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. So he's not talking about, quotes shortly to come to pass in God's way of reckoning things. He's writing this to us. He means shortly to come to pass in the human way of reckoning things. And in Revelation, that was the two verses at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Revelation 22.10 says, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So, Phil, if these passages don't mean the fulfillment of the book of Revelation was to be in the first century time frame, then we cannot learn anything, not a single thing from the Bible. The Bible is telling us that the fulfillment of Revelation is uh, shortly to come to pass, uh, the time is at hand. He says that twice. And if the time is at hand and shortly to come to pass doesn't mean soon, then when the Bible tells us that uh, that you have to believe to be saved, it doesn't mean you got to believe to be saved. I mean, we can't trust anything the Bible says if we can't trust what Revelation 1-1, Revelation 1-3, and Revelation chapter 22, verse 10 tells us about the time frame of the fulfillment of the book of Revelation. Now, let me repeat that. It says the fulfillment of the book of Revelation, the time is at hand twice, both in the first chapter and in the last chapter. And it says these things must shortly come to pass. If that doesn't mean the fulfillment was soon in the first century time frame, as opposed to longly, like 2,000 years later, then there's nothing in the Bible we can understand. In other words, God's just speaking in some heavenly language and every single word in the Bible means something different than the way we use the word. So like if it says Jesus was baptized, that means maybe that means uh, Jesus uh, jumped over a tarpaulin. 
or Jesus ran a, a, a 10 mile race when it says he was baptized. We can't understand anything the Bible says if we don't accept the words as they are. Now, what's going on here, I think, is we have a lot of people making a lot of money, writing books, trying to make the book of Revelation prophesy about things in our day. That way they can sell a lot of books, okay? And, and the reason they may be doing that is to make money. I remember but a uh, pretty long time ago, and I'm thinking Phil's old enough to remember this, Gorbachev, uh, the president of Russia, he's, uh, he's the one that was during the time frame when the Berlin Wall came down. He had this big old birthmark on his face, and people said, that's the mark of the beast. And also during that time, you had the president of the United States, Ronald Wilson Reagan. All three of his names had six letters, so they said he's the 666. Everybody, it seemed like, all throughout the centuries have been trying to say these details in the book of Revelation are prophesying about our day. Well, they can't. It can't be talking about Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev and be talking about the vaccine today. Some people think <laughs> that's what the mark of the beast is, taking the vaccine. It can't be talking about both those. It can't just be saying every 25 years it's prophesying about something every 25 years. It's prophesying about one thing. And we learn that the book of Revelation from itself this is God speaking. He said it's shortly to come to pass and time is at hand. Now, I know a lot of people don't believe that because they want to believe what they want to believe about the book of Revelation and to believe what God said about the time period of the fulfillment would contradict what they want to believe and what will sell books. But that shouldn't be our purpose for serving the Lord and teaching the Bible to try to sell books. Instead, our purpose should be to get it right. And the time is at hand is getting it right. To say it's it's the fulfillment is now is just completely ignoring what the book claims about itself. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. We were talking about 2 John verses 9 through 11. You know, another thing we can learn from that when it says you have to abide in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ to have God is that once saved, always saved is false. Suppose a person were to get saved, I mean truly saved, born again, but then later quit abiding in the teaching of Christ. Well, verse 9 would teach he's without God and therefore without salvation. So under that scenario, he was saved at one point, but then lost his salvation due to not abiding in the teaching of Christ. The doctrine of once saved, always saved, says a Christian is going to be saved regardless of whether he abides in Jesus' teaching. But 2 John 9 flatly and plainly contradicts that theory. Another passage that I like to mention on this topic, Galatians 5, 4, also proves once saved, always saved false when it reads, and I quote, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Now, the Baptist and many others say a Christian can't fall from grace. It's impossible. But this verse says some at that time had already fallen from grace. They had already done what some preachers preachers today say is impossible, and that is fall from grace. I, I, I may be exaggerating a little, but I think I could find at least one verse on every page of the Bible that conclusively proves once saved, always saved is false. And there's not one passage, not one in the, in the Bible that, that says that once saved, always saved is a true doctrine. It's all just wishful thinking. 
We want what saved always saved to be true. We want it to be true that if I become a Christian, then I don't have to worry about the way I live. I can live the way Pat wants to live and still be saved. That's just wishful thinking. The Bible contradicts that teaching at every turn. Revelation 2 verse 10 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. You see? we got to be faithful all the way. If, if we die because of it and until our death to get the crown of life, if we quit being faithful to God because of temptation or persecution, our names will be blotted out of the book of life, Revelation chapter 3, 5. And your name's not in the book of life. That's the list of the names of all the saved people, unless you're saved. So if it gets blotted out according to Revelation 3, 5, and by the way, Revelation twenty two nineteen also shows a person's name can be taken out of the book of life. If it gets blotted out, that means you were saved in the book of life. It got erased out. You're not saved anymore. Once saved, always saved is false. The sixth thing I think we can learn from Second John verses 9 through 11. But by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. The sixth thing that we can learn at least on my little outline here from Second John 9 through 11, is that we must not fellowship religious error. Verses 10 through 11 says, if we bid someone God's speed who is in sin, we become a partaker in their evil deeds. So not only must we follow Christ's teachings personally, verse 9, we should not help someone else to sin or encourage them in their sin. Ephesians 5, 11 confirms this by saying, and I quote, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Jeff from Pennsylvania, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, Pat. Uh, it was great to hear Phil back again, but I, and I wanted to follow up on his question. Uh, I assume this is Jeff W., is it not? That's correct. Hey, I recognize your voice, buddy. Go ahead. <laughs> well, doesn't the book of Revelation also include uh, the victorious return of Jesus when he returns to earth? To, isn't that also part of Revelation, and shouldn't that also have been considered soon? You know, uh, where are you talking about, Jeff, in the book of Revelation that refers to that, the victorious was, return of Jesus? I was thinking somewhere in chapter 19. Okay, I don't remember that, but I, I will say this, and this may be what you're talking about. In Revelation chapter 20, it talks about a thousand-year reign. Okay? And so when mm -hmm. the book of Revelation, Jeff, and see if you agree with this, when the, 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 that it's going to be fulfilled shortly to come to pass, the time is at hand, and then it talks about a thousand-year reign, which represents a long period of time, then the, the, the events that occur at the end of that thousand-year reign in Revelation 20 would not be shortly to come to pass. In it, you know, like Revelation 20 verses uh, 11 following the great white throne scene, I don't know about it talking mm -hmm. about the second coming of Christ, but it talks about the judgment day here, and that's still in the future. And that's why I said, Jeff, that for the most part, the book of Revelation as a whole is shortly to come to pass. But when it talks about that thousand-year reign, then the, the beginning part of the thousand-year reign would be shortly to come to pass. But that thousand-year reign, well, we know, Jeff, that Christ is reigning now in his kingdom. I think you agree with that, right? So we're in that thousand-year reign now, and that at the end, when Christ comes back, as you mentioned, 1 Corinthians 15, and then we have the judgment day. We read about that in Revelation 20. That's going to be something in the future. That's at the end of the long period of time. Does that make sense, Jeff? 
I see, I see your point. I'm going to need to study that more. Were you thinking maybe the revelation teaches the second coming of Christ was shortly to come to pass? Yes. Yeah, I don't think that's in the book of Revelation. You know, one thing is we have to keep in mind that the Bible talks about the second coming of Christ, like in Hebrews 9, and it's talking about a second physical, personal coming. But sometimes you'll find the uh, a coming of Christ. I think I've, I've counted 15 or 18 times in the Bible that talks about a coming of Christ or coming of God in judgment, it's not talking about him coming physically or personally, but he's going to come in judgment. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm turning to uh, the book of James. In, in, in James 5, 1 and following, Jeff, it talks about, it's condemning a bunch of rich people, okay? And it, But it's, it's, it's basically saying, hey, the people, you Christians that aren't so rich, that are being abused, by the rich, be patient for the coming of the Lord uh, unto the coming of the Lord, verse 7. And then James 5, verse 8, be also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So the coming of the Lord is coming soon to draw off nigh. I don't think that's talking about the personal second coming of Christ, like we read about many times in what Jesus talks about, but it's talking about the Lord coming in judgment. He's going to come in judgment upon these rich people for how they're treating these not-so-rich Christians. Maybe I could send you uh, a list of those comings and judgments throughout the Bible. There's at least 15 of them, Jeff. Are you saying he's coming to those individual rich people soon when they die? No. I, no. I'm not exactly sure what it's talking about, but he's going to come in judgment upon them. They're going to be punished in this life for their mistreatment of the, the not-so-rich Christians. Punished in this life. Like, think of the coming, the Bible talks about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. as the coming of Christ in Matthew 24. Well, Jesus mm-hmm. didn't come back personally then in 70 A.D., but he came through the Roman armies and ran, the Roman armies led by the general Titus ransacked uh, Jerusalem and the, the Jews were punished for what they had done in through the centuries, persecuting and killing prophets and then the straw that broke the the camel's back was they killed the son of God and God came in physical punishment for them in 70 AD that Jerusalem was destroyed. You can read about that in, in uh, Josephus and in the New Testament, Matthew 24, especially uh, Jesus didn't come personally, physically, but he came in judgment through the Titus and the Roman armies that he led. You familiar with that, Jeff? No. Cummings in judgment. Let me send you a list of comings and judgment. They're all throughout the Old Testament, okay? I'll send you a list later by email, okay? Okay, thank you. All right, appreciate your call, Jeff. Mm -hmm. We're about to have to go off air in two or three minutes, but if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So I think we've learned, we can learn a lot from 2 John verses 9 through 11 that a lot of people, religious people, believers today want to ignore. I mean, I mean, how many Bible teachers out there are willing to teach that whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God? I mean, of course, you can't be saved without God. Yet most gospel, most teachers are saying it doesn't really matter what your doctrine is. All that matters is if you believe in Christ. And once you become a Christian, you're going to be saved no matter what. It doesn't matter if you follow 
the, the doctrine of Christ. All that matters is faith only. So really, it's kind of kind of rare out there to find a Bible teacher that's willing to willing to preach the truth about Second John verse nine. Kind of rare, I think. The truth is in Second John verse nine, it's written all over the Bible. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. You cannot be saved unless you continue in, believe, teach, and practice the true doctrine of Christ. Deviating from that, teaching the commandments of men causes our worship to be vain, causes our worship to be vain, and we can't be saved that way. Matthew 15, verse 9. If you'd like to take me up on that offer, free, one-hour phone Bible study, sometime when it's convenient for you, Call or text me at 256-682-9753. Call or text me for a free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience, 256-682-9753. Be sure and listen next week at this same time.